Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Our nation continues to be very much in need of prayer, not just because of crises and turmoil or changes and so on, but it always is in need of prayer and protection. All nations are. And in the liturgy, especially the Byzantine liturgy, we pray several times out loud, and there are even more prayers that the priest says silently at the altar during the liturgy. Prayers for our nation our civil authorities, as we call them in the liturgy. And there are certain saints and angels under whose patronage many nations have been placed. One of those angels, of course, is St. Michael. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar today, November 8th, is the Feast of St. Michael, although we say the St. Michael, St. Michael the Archangel, he's an archangel or archangel. And we pray to him and also all bodiless powers, in other words, the other angels as well. Now, he is the focus of today's feast day, but we do include the other angels. St. Michael was the best known of the angels. He was a leader of the heavenly host when they battled Lucifer and his followers. Remember, he cast Lucifer out of heaven. And Lucifer, the name means light. Lucifer was a great, great angel, magnificent angel, but he got too arrogant, too prideful, turned against God, and he was cast out of heaven by Michael. Four times St. Michael is named in the scriptures. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, it says, But the princes, that is the guardian angel of Persia, of the king of the Persians, resisted me one and twenty days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Then also in the same book, Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, But at the time, end of the world, shall Michael rise up, the great prince, who stands up for the children of your people. Then in the epistle of Jude, that's a, sometimes a little known epistle, but it's a little short epistle, the back of the Bible, the New Testament section, St. Jude. Sometimes we pray for him for lost causes. But in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Yet when Michael the archangel was fiercely disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, this dispute between Michael and the devil is nowhere else recorded in the scriptures that is a reference to Jewish apocryphal writings. 
Its cause is not explained, but it seems certain that the devil wished to make some evil use of the body of Moses. So again, here's where we see the sacred tradition. The scripture refers to something that's not in the scripture itself. So the Bible is referring in itself to something that's not in it. And that shows you our use of scripture and tradition in the church. And finally, the fourth reference to St. Michael in the Bible is from the book Revelations, or sometimes called Apocalypse, chapter 12, verse 7. And there was a battle in heaven. Michael and his angels battled with the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. St. John is speaking here of the great conflict at the end of the world. Now, Christian tradition follows these scriptural passages assigned to Michael as four offices that he has. Number one, St. Michael is to fight against Satan. It was so at the beginning. Number two, to rescue the souls of the faithful from the power of the devil. Three, to be the champion of God's people, the Jews under the old law, Christians under the new law. And four, to summon men's souls on the earth and bring them to judgment. Now, St. Basil and other Greek fathers place St. Michael over all the angels, calling him Archangel. In the liturgy, he is often called Archistrategus, meaning highest general. Now, the cult of St. Michael can be traced back to way, way back to antiquity. His feast was introduced either by Pope Sylvester or by Patriarch Alexander of Alexandria, and both of them lived in the 4th century. Now, in the 5th century, Anatolius, the Patriarch of Constantinople, which is, of course, now today modern-day Istanbul, in the 8th century of St. John Damascene, and in the 9th century, the Studites composed many beautiful hymns in his honor. Now, during Vespers, we sing this, O Michael, leader of hosts, who beholds things indescribable, since you are ranked with great privilege above the heavenly ones and stand in glory before the unapproachable throne, we beseech you to save by your prayers us who endure the hardships of tribulations and temptations. As I mentioned at the beginning, our nation really needs prayer. And Archangel Michael is an archangel that actually guards nations. Now, our nation of America is placed under the immaculate heart of the Virgin Mary. So, of course, we pray to her for her protection. But St. Michael, well, as you heard, that's one of his four offices is to protect us from the devil. So we certainly need to intercede for us for our nation, especially now. Now, the first Christian emperor, St. Constantine the Great, this is in the fourth century, he built a church in honor of St. Michael on the Bosphorus at a spot called Annapolis, some 50 miles south of Constantinople. Again, Constantinople is modern-day Istanbul. This place later took on the name of Mikalion after St. Michael was said to have appeared to the emperor. Now, St. Michael also appeared over a fortress. It was actually Hadrian's temple later became used as a fortress to guard popes when they were being attacked or in trouble when people were trying to seize Rome centuries ago. And during those troubled times, there were times of a plague actually in particular, where the pope led processions through Rome and St. Michael appeared above Hadrian's tomb, which eventually became a fortress for the popes. It exists even to this day. They call it Castel San Angelo, in other words, the castle of the angels, because St. Michael appeared there and the plague was lifted from the city of Rome. This was after prayer and a pope leading the people in procession outside during the plague. So a couple of times St. Michael has appeared both in the east and the west. And so he is a mighty saint, a saint we ought to pray to. I pray to him often, especially nowadays, to cast out of this world, our nation, our lives, this evil, this devil. There's a wonderful prayer in the Latin rite that refers to 
and asked St. Michael to cast into hell Satan forever. In the Byzantine church, the prayer we do to St. Michael, and notice it also includes the other angels, is this. O leader of the heavenly armies, although we are always unworthy, we beseech you, that with your prayers you may encircle us with their protection, the wings of your angelic glory. Watch over us as we bow low and earnestly cry out to you. Deliver us from trouble, O princes of the heavenly armies. As you can see, Michael is the angel of protection. He's a mighty angel, mighty warrior. In the icons in the Byzantine church, it often shows St. Michael holding a scale, the scales of justice, and the devil is on the scale. There's actually a spear going through him. St. Michael's spear is going right through the devil. The boys in the church like those kinds of icons best, just like the one of St. George where his spear is being driven right through the neck of a serpent, a dragon, an evil serpent. The boys like that especially. (laughs) So we can be pretty dramatic in our iconography, but the point in both icons of George and St. Michael, where they're driving a spear through the devil and also a symbol of the devil, a serpent, the meaning there, of course, the reassurance there is that these heavenly bodies, through God's grace and order, through God's command, God's design, God's will, they triumph over evil, even to the point of being depicted stabbing the devil or stabbing a symbol of the devil, a serpent, in the case of the icon of St. George. We have many parishes in the Byzantine churches named after St. Michael. He's a very, very popular saint, very powerful saint. And I highly advise that we turn to him now, because remember, he guards nations. He is the leader of the heavenly armies, and he guards nations. He, he gets the big jobs. <laughs> it's the big jobs. He's, he's the big guy. He got the big job. He cast Lucifer out of heaven. He watches over entire nations, fights evil. So he's a great one to pray to. And that's who we pray to, along with the other angels, but especially him, on this day, November 8th, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We also have this week, it's a pretty rich week of people to pray to. And I think it's very timely because in our nation now, we certainly need a lot of prayer. We, we always do, but we especially need it now. And we have the help. This is the great genius, one of the great geniuses and beauties of our faith, is that we can actually turn to helpers, people that can help intercede to God for us, like angels and saints, which we'll mention in in a little while. We have some of them coming up this week too. But these are intermediaries. They amplify our prayer. Many times our non-Catholics don't understand why we pray to angels and pray to saints. Well, first of all, they did it in the Bible. And these people are intercessors. They have already arrived in heaven. And in heaven, we are connected. This earth and the next life is connected through Christ. So they have died in Christ. They're living in Christ. Therefore, they have a connection with this world. So it just stands to reason, just logically. We can and should pray to intercessors, people who are already in heaven, people in beings like angels who are in heaven. It amplifies our prayer. They say it better than we can. They are already at the throne of God. We're still en route there, but they're already there. So why not? It would just seem to be logical, if anything else. There's nothing in the Bible that says we can't or should not pray to and with intercessors. In fact, the Bible does have references of praying to intercessors. And so we do it in our own churches, east and west. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more about some of these intercessors. And this is a great week for them and a timely one for our nation. 
I'm Father Thomas Leah on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Ladies, would you like to know what it is that men really want? I am Father Thomas Lawyer with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. In complement to woman's body, the body of a man is designed to act upon the environment, to go up against things greater than he is. Men are designed to defend, protect, tear down, build, resist, invent, in short, to accomplish the task. Their greatest desire, therefore, is to be told that they have what it takes, they measure up, and have indeed accomplished the task. Conversely, a man's greatest fear is to be told that he is not adequate, that he is a failure. A man wants to see reflected in the eyes of his woman the essential message of his manhood. Yes, I do believe in you, honey. You are my knight in shining armor. Ladies, when a man hears that message, he will do anything for you. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lowe, your host on this very special week of intercessors, both powerful angels and powerful saints, Byzantine liturgical calendar. And it is timely and providential for two reasons. One, because our nation is in a place that needs lots of prayer, a lot of intercessory prayer. And remember, intercessory prayer amplifies our prayer. The other reason is, at the very end of this week, we will begin, as we end the week, we'll begin then the great pre-Christmas fast, the penitential period leading up to the celebration of the birth of our Lord, of God coming in the flesh. That's called the Philip's fast. We'll get to that a little bit later. We'll talk more about that next time. But it is the great Advent season in the Eastern churches. It's very penitential. We fast, pray more back away from things rather than take on things. It's a time of getting our house in order. Good time to get your own house in order, even physically. 
get rid of a lot of stuff. Purge yourself. Purge your homes. Clean them out. Because you're going to take on a lot anyway. It just happens at this time of year with gifts and so on. But we live with a lot of excess. We have to learn more from the saints. Detachment. Asceticism. Open our hands. Let go of things. Things are so temporary. One of those great saints we pray to this week is St. John Chrysostom. He's a great saint for both the East and the West, primarily in the East, especially in the East, because he's one of the great fathers of the Eastern churches, one of the doctors of the church. His name was John Chrysostom. Chrysostom means golden mouth because he was such a brilliant preacher. He lived in the fourth century, and the divine liturgy that we celebrate in the Byzantine rite is named after St. John Chrysostom. We call it the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. That's like our staple liturgy, our standard liturgy. We also have a liturgy named after St. Basil the Great. We have another one that is the Presanctified Liturgy. And in many Eastern churches, there is a very, very ancient liturgy of St. James. Yes, he was the first bishop of Jerusalem, relative of the Lord. He made up a magnificent liturgy, which St. John Chrysostom and St. Basil shortened. Can you imagine? Many people think that our Byzantine liturgy is long. Golly, it goes over an hour. Yeah, well, more or less. It's Who cares? It's timeless. But these Byzantine saints like Chrysostom and St. Basil actually shortened St. James's liturgy. What makes these liturgies more lengthy, I'm going to use the word not so much lengthy. I'm going to use a better word. What makes them so rich and timeless mostly is the length and richness, timelessness, beauty, depth of the prayers, especially the prayers that we would call in the West, the Eucharistic prayers. In the East, we would call it the anaphora, means offering. In other words, those are the prayers that the priest says aloud and silently that come at the very heart of the Mass or the liturgy. They're the prayers that really speak of the commemoration of what's happening in the Eucharist, calling down the Holy Spirit. There's usually basically three parts to the Eucharistic prayer. It's the Words of institution themselves that Christ said, take, eat, this is my body, and so on. Then there is the remembrance, the remembrance of how Christ brought this miracle about through his death, resurrection, the mystical supper, last supper. Then there's the calling down of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit, actually, that changes the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. The priest does not consecrate the Eucharist. I mean, we say that, yes, the priest is necessary and instrumental in it, in that process of the bread and wine, miraculously becoming the actual body, blood, and soul divinity of Christ. He is instrumental. He must be there, but he himself does not do it. He must be there because he's the agent of the Holy Spirit that does it. So in the liturgy that we celebrate most commonly in the Byzantine rite, it's called the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, because he shortened the St. James Liturgy, but also wrote, in fact, he even shortened St. Basil's Liturgy. He wrote, therefore, the heart of the liturgy, the Eucharistic prayer, the anaphora. St. John Chrysostom does what a lot of people wish more church leaders did today, whether priests or bishops. He spoke the truth boldly, without any regard to the cost to himself. And in fact, he would actually single out the empress, and she was right there in the service. He would single her out for her decadence. Well, needless to say, and this is why a lot of priests and bishops are a bit shy to really tell the truth today, there's repercussions. There's repercussions that can happen within the church and from without the church. Oh, yeah. I mean, we still should not be afraid to tell the truth, but 
the reasons why many priests and bishops are hesitant today, and a lot of you wish they were telling the truth more. The reason is because there can be pretty brutal consequences, both inside and outside the church. Well, it was for Chrysostom, brutal enough that he was actually exiled five times. The fifth time, he finally died. It was in Armenia. He would be exiled from being the Archbishop of Constantinople, which today is modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. That was the great, great center of the Byzantine church, one of the greatest Christian centers in history. Certainly, it boasts of the remains of the greatest church ever built by human beings in human history. It's still there. Unfortunately, it was taken over now recently and turned back into a mosque. That's the great church of Hagia Sophia. Chrysostom was there preaching in that. Can you imagine the richness of that era, having that magnificent church and having Chrysostom, the golden mouth, speak in that church, at that center of the Byzantine church in Constantinople, now Istanbul. But St. John Chrysostom had many writings and many homilies. He was famous for his homilies. And people like him had a great grasp of Scripture. They could speak allegorically about Scripture. They had it all memorized. They could just refer to Scripture just like it was breathing. Some of the prayers for St. John Chrysostom are this. So Chrysostom, the church sings to you, Rejoice in Christ your bridegroom. For by your words and your virtues, you have enlightened the world more than the rays of the sun. Rejoice, O wisest of men, greater than all other orators. Rejoice, defender of the true faith. You're the one who uncovered falseness, O teacher of penance. Rejoice, quiet death of knowledge, who, like the great Paul, followed Christ completely. Now ask Christ to send great mercy to our souls. They notice in that prayer, and this again comes from the dogmatic hymns of the divine office, the daily office of the Byzantine church. See, we use in, in a very ingenious way, a very poetic way, and theological way, dogmatic hymns. In other words, the prayers that we say are actually exposés of our belief, our dogma. And they're very poetic, very rich, lots of allegory, metaphors, but they communicate the theology, the significance of that feast day, that person, the event. And what I just quoted to you came from the Vespers for St. John Chrysostom. And his tropar, that means the official verse, the official chant to a saint or to a feast day is this. The grace that shines forth like a torch from your mouth has enlightened the universe, bestowed treasures of generosity upon the world, and shown us the depth of your humility while you teach us by your words, O Holy Father. Pray the word, Christ our God, that he may save our souls. Notice how the formula of prayer goes. We always start out by proclaiming what's good about person, or if it's God himself, depending on the prayer. Then we do a, a bit of a thank you, a bit of a contrition, and then we ask and we end up with the ask and then the glory once again. In other words, we, we ask that person, or if it's Christ or the Virgin Mary, to intercede for us, and we give them glory at the end. There's basically kind of a formula for formal prayer. If you learn that formula, it'll help in your own prayer, because many times people have trouble praying. Uh, they kind of need a more of a structure or formula. So I generally offer that formula that we see in the liturgy, in liturgical prayer. Say what is great about the person, whether it's God, of course, or a saint or the Blessed Mother, an angel like this week, Archangel Michael and St. John Chrysostom. Say what is great and beautiful about them. Praise them, lavish praise about them. Thank them. Then come in with your ask, what you're asking from them, what you're requesting from them, your petition. It's okay, do that. Then follow up by thanks 
in a glory. In other words, a doxology. It means glorifying them. That's how to pray. I mean, when you approach somebody, very, very important, and you want something very, very special from them, don't you approach them in the right way? Wouldn't you say, sir, mister, grandma, your honor, your excellency, your beatitude, such, such as in the Eastern churches, your eminence? Wouldn't you say that if you were approaching someone who you knew had a very special status and you wanted something from them very special? Same thing when in prayer then. Just don't pray any old way. Pray with the way that is appropriate to the person you're speaking to and the honor and dignity of your request. See, your repentance, your honor and dignity of your request is, has a value in itself as well. So you want to treat it that way. You're addressing somebody special with something special. You're asking something special. So use special words, that special structure. I guarantee you, it'll improve your life of prayer, as do all the saints to whom we pray, especially this week. St. Michael the Archangel, St. John Chrysostom, and there's a couple more we didn't get to, St. Josephat and St. Philip. We'll talk more about getting into this Advent season, this preparation period in the Byzantine Church next time. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Catholic Radio is, it's training for the troops. It's a inter-aural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!